You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 101, brought to you by Vessie Seeds. Hey everybody, it's episode 101. It's uh, early August. I'm a little bit, I'm about a week late in recording this. I apologize for that. It's just been very busy and very hectic and I just haven't been able to have the time to devote to this project of doing uh, a podcast once a month. So uh, but anyway, anyway, here we are. And I thought today the topic I would talk about is uh, the five most common mistakes that gardeners tend to make that cost them in terms of the results. And by gardeners, I mean vegetable gardeners, right? Um, so, and really I'm talking about problem solving, okay? The five most common mistakes gardeners make when problem solving, because problem solving is a part of gardening. Things go wrong uh, all the time. I mean, I just did a garden tour video and I was mentioning this didn't work, this is why I think it went wrong, this didn't work, this is why I think it went wrong, right? Uh, so you're, you're often uh, faced with something not going the way you thought. There's many different reasons why that thing could have gone wrong and uh, your ability to solve the problem has a huge effect on your success as a gardener. Not just in terms of your yield, but in terms of developing your confidence, right? If you're not solving your, your problems, your confidence goes down. You start thinking, oh, I'm just not good at this or whatever, which is rubbish, <laughs> right? Anyone can do it. Um, so let's get started. Uh, five things gardeners tend to, uh, five mistakes gardeners make when diagnosing problems in their garden. Uh, number one, I would say is uh, going on something like Facebook, a message board, some sort of public forum a group, garden group, and saying, I have this problem, what, you know, here, my leaves are, you know, what's, what's attacking my beans? Uh, why did all my lettuce disappear? Why does my squash look sick? What do you think this is? So you just show someone a picture, a bunch of people on the internet a picture, and you ask them what's wrong. And, uh, and I can see why a person would bring a question like that to a group of people that are interested in that topic. Um, but the problem with that approach is that very few of the people that are on the Facebook group, whatever the group is, I can tell you I'm, I'm a member of like, I don't know, at least 50 Facebook groups because of what I do with this uh, YouTube channel. Um, very few of the people on the group actually have any real knowledge. <laughs> you know, they just have opinions. And you know that saying, opinions are like assholes, everybody's got one, <laughs> right? So <laughs> that's kind of the way it is. Uh, so, um, you know, most of the time when I see a question posed, a technical question about gardening posed on a Facebook group, and I see the suggestions people give as the answer, 90% of them are wrong. <laughs> based on nothing. Either they're not based on experience at all, they're just based on something they read somewhere by someone that does knows as much or less, uh, or they're based on very specific experience, right? Like really the person is saying this is what they think it is because this is what they experience where they are. Um, so, you know, a good example would be something like, uh, you know, every year people, when people grow tomatoes, the first tomatoes they get on their plant have a blossom end rot, right? Part of the tomato looks rotten and uh, so they'll put a picture of the tomato up on their favorite garden group and say what's wrong with my tomatoes and everybody says you need calcium your soil needs calcium you need to stick tums in the soil you need to put eggshells in the soil you need to pour milk in the soil you need to buy calcium and throw it all over the place um, and uh, that's just an uninformed opinion um, sure um, 
Wasserman-Rott can result from a calcium deficiency, um, but it, it's usually a calcium deficiency in the plant. That is to say, you know, when the plant was forming the flower, uh, the plant did not have the calcium it needed to do that correctly. And so that particular flower and the tomato on that particular flower is going to have that deformity. Uh, and that's usually because, not because there's a calcium deficiency in your soil, it's because the plant was just unable to take it up at the rate that was needed when that flower was forming. What usually happens is that the subsequent tomatoes from that plant, the next ones, right? Because your potatoes, or your, your tomatoes make, uh, you know, they have more than one yield of tomatoes, right? So the first ones might have the blossom emerald, the ones after that don't. And so, you know, people stick a tum in the ground and then the tomatoes that happen afterwards are fine. They think, oh, it must be the tums. And that's another mistake gardeners make, which I'll get to in a second, uh, seeing a cause and effect and really not understanding the cause and effect correctly. But uh, anyway, yeah, I'm just using it as an example to show that you, you pose a question like that to a, to a group like that, and you're not necessarily going to get uh, particularly good advice. If you talk to a soil scientist or someone who studies things like tomatoes and they understand that, uh, like when I have uh, you know, Robert Pavlis on my show, uh, who's a biochemist and a master gardener, uh, you know, he'll explain, no, you don't need to stick tums in the ground. Most of the time, you know, you do a soil test if you think you've got a calcium deficiency in soil, but calcium in soil is uh, a pretty abundant thing. Uh, certainly if you're keeping your soil perpetually mulched, um, you've got different forms of, uh, you know, organisms living in your soil, you know, you're not going to have a shortage of calcium, right? All those little things crawling around, they have calcium in them. All those little shells of those little insects, they're all a calcium, right? So they're living and dying and, you know, and uh, all the plant matter you're using as your mulch, it has calcium in it, right? That's why it's got some degree of, you know, uh, hardness. Uh, so yeah, if you're, if you're a no-till gardener and you're keeping your soil mulched, you do not have a calcium deficiency in your soil, <laughs> right? So anyway, I'm getting sidetracked here. The point is, Going to a Facebook group to get an answer about a problem is, it's better than nothing. If that's all there was, it'd be better than nothing. <laughs> but uh, you can get a lot of useless advice on, in a forum like that, right? So that's number one. Uh, number two is a guru, like following a guru, um, going, you know, basically only getting your information from one guru. Uh, whoever that, maybe a person that um, was in a, uh, you know, documentary that you like and you read that person's book and basically that's like a Bible for you. Or um, someone has a YouTube channel and you really like their approach so you think everything they say is God's truth sort of thing. Um, or, you know, just any other sort of person personality like that, a guru, maybe TV personality or whatever. Um, I, I think that's a mistake and I mean, I don't consider myself a guru but um, Let's say I had a million subscribers. Uh, even if I didn't, I guess I would. People would be treating me like one anyway. Um, but yeah, if you have a problem, you know, with a particular a particular problem in your garden, uh, I wouldn't say going to the. I mean, it's better again. It's better than nothing. Um, but here's the thing: the qualification for being a gardening guru is being able to attract an audience to yourself. Right? You you can't be a guru if you don't have an audience. Um, so you could have an incredibly knowledgeable person, but they just have no speaking ability, no charisma whatsoever. They're never going to get to be a guru. 
no one's going to want to listen to them. <laughs> if you just don't have that ability to speak to an audience, you don't get to be a guru. Um, so someone could be like that terrible speaker, terrible putting words together, um, you know, unpleasing to look at, <laughs> and so on and so forth. But that person could be the most amazing gardener in the world, right? But you're not going to listen to them, right? Those people don't get to be gardening personalities, even though maybe they should, right? Um, so don't go to the guru. You don't, there's no qualification for being a guru other than being able to attract an audience to yourself. Um, so it's really not the right qualifications for helping answer your problem, even though you trust that person. Um, number three uh, is uh, a lack of understanding of how to establish cause. Right? If you've got a problem and you're trying to figure out what caused that problem, uh, how you go about assigning what causal agent was behind that problem. Um, this is something, it's probably the most, I was going to make this whole video just about this one thing, because <laughs> it's such a common thing. It's a very human thing to do. Um, the, it's a logical error called post hoc ergo propter hoc, where you, which translated, that's Latin, because everything, everything smart is supposed to sound Latin and smart, just means uh, after this, therefore, because of this. Post hoc, there, uh, ergo propter hoc. After this, therefore, because of this. Meaning, this thing happened after this thing, so this thing must be the thing that made that thing happen. Right? I saw this, then that happened, so the thing I saw must have been the thing I saw happen. For instance, like with that tomato example I gave, I had blossom end rot, I stuck tums in the ground, the next tomatoes were fine, the tums must have solved it. How do you know that? Right? Maybe it would have just solved itself on its own. Maybe it's like I'm saying that the plant just didn't have enough of a root system developed when the first flowers were forming and it couldn't get the calcium it needed, even though the calcium was there. When the next flowers and the next flowers were developing, the root system was more elaborate, the plant could get the calcium it needed, and uh, you didn't have blossom end rot with the second one. So it had nothing to do with the fact that you were sticking tums or certs or whatever you stuck in the ground. Uh, it's just more about the plant's root system being more mature and able to take up what it needs. Um, or another example would be, you know, of that, that error of establishing cause, where maybe you've got some little peas about an inch or two high, and then you come out in your garden, you notice there's uh, some birds hopping around in your peas. And then the next day, the peas are all gone. So you think it must have been the birds that ate my peas. Um, maybe, but uh, only if that bird is a herbivore, <laughs> right? <laughs> so um, the, uh, the way to go about establishing cause, you have to satisfy three criteria for establishing cause. Um, Temporal priority is one of them. Temporal priority meaning the thing you think is the cause happened before the thing you think was the effect. So to go with our bird example. You saw the bird, then the plant disappeared. So you've got temporal priority. The bird happened, then the plant disappeared, right? So the thing happened before, the, the cause happened before the effect. So you got that one. But there's two other criteria that have to be satisfied. You have to have correlation, and you have to have the elimination of all plausible alternatives. So correlation means, you know, does it make sense? Is there, um, you know, a really good, are those two things related to one another? That is to say, in, in the case of this bird pea thing, is the particular bird you saw a kind of bird that would eat 
plant matter, pea greens. Does it eat, is it a herbivore? Does it eat that? Right, a lot of birds, especially in spring when your peas are young, they're looking, after, they're looking for snails, slugs, worms, insects, and maybe seeds. But they're not looking for two inch high peas. So you gotta say, what kind of bird is that? And look up what, what the bird is, and what's that bird's diet? And if it doesn't eat leafy greens, which very few birds do, some do, but very few do, especially the kinds you tend to see in your garden, uh, and I can only speak to my context, right? Um, so I have lots of neighbors and people like that say, oh, I had peas, but the birds ate them. It's like, there's no bird around here that does that. Uh, I know you saw birds and your peas disappeared. You thought it was the birds, but you know, that has never happened in my garden, ever, <laughs> right? And I've seen lots of birds in with my peas, but I always see sparrows, robins, things like that. They don't eat peas, right? They're looking for worms, they're looking for snails, looking for slugs, looking for maybe tiny seeds. Um, so, right there, if, if the kind of bird that's in with your peas is not a kind of bird that would eat a little vegetable, green, green plant matter, you haven't got that sort of correlation that that thing doesn't go with the other thing. And then there's the third thing, elimination of all plausible alternatives, right? Have you thought about all the other things that could have made your peas disappear? Maybe it was slugs. Maybe it was snails. Maybe the soil was too dry. Maybe the soil was too wet. Maybe it was too acid, right? Maybe it was too alkaline, right? Maybe it was missing something. Maybe it got too cold. Maybe it got too hot. <laughs> There's all kinds of other reasons why your peas could have disappeared. You know, maybe there was all those birds there because there was a pest that was eating your peas and the birds were eating the pest, right? So the birds were just, uh, the birds were literally being caused. You know, the birds were there because there was a pest attacking your peas. So the birds aren't a cause, they're actually an effect of a third cause that you're unaware of. Maybe you've got a pest uh, that only comes out at night when you're asleep, um, so you can't see it. Or maybe it's around during the day, but it's so small, like a flea beetle or something like that, you, you don't even know it's there because it's not sort of visible to you. But to a tiny little bird, they can see it and they're just picking them off and having a great time. Maybe, maybe it even looked like the birds are eating your peas because they're, they're, they're nipping at something that's on your peas and they're cutting some of the peas with their beak to get at those insects, right? So that's the process you need to go through if you're gonna really establish a cause-effect relationship. You have to establish temporal priority, sort of establish correlation, and go through that process of eliminating all the other plausible alternative explanations for why this thing and that thing may or may not be related. Very few people get past step one. I saw this, that happened, it was that thing. It's a very natural thing to do. It's a very human thing to do, but it can lead to uh, misdiagnosing a problem most of the time. And that's why in a, in a field like science, you don't just, you have to do all three to actually establish cause. That's why they have experimental methods, experimental design, all that sort of stuff, double blind, placebo, you know, all these sorts of things we use, scientists use, I'm not a scientist, but scientists use to truly rule out all the different reasons a, given effect can be observed after a given cause or treatment. Um, that's why when they want to test a pill, it's effective. They get a bunch of people that are the same age, same level of health. They put them all on the same diet. They make sure they're sort of, there's nothing particularly wrong with them so they can eliminate, you know, like so if I'm using a weight loss pill um, and I'm testing it on people, uh, in order to establish that it was the pill that caused the weight loss, 
I have to make sure that all those people are exercising the same amount. They have to be taking in the same amount of calories. They have to be physiologically similar, right? If half the people have super fast metabolisms, the other half have super slow metabolisms. The effect I'm watching are not the effect of the pill, it's just the effect of the, 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 the subject's physiology. Anyway, I think you get the point. Okay, uh, fourth thing is uh, ego. Getting past yourself. If something goes wrong in your garden, um, is, you know, it could be that you just made a mistake of some kind and being unable to question yourself, be self-critical. I'm not saying, you know, don't beat yourself down, right? But just the ability to question what you've done and think, geez, maybe, maybe I did that too late. Maybe I shouldn't have done that thing that way. Just be, be a little bit self-critical, not, not in a way that, you know, totally destroys your, <laughs> your confidence, but to just have the confidence. It takes confidence to criticize yourself. But don't let your ego get in the way of developing as a gardener, developing. I mean, really, you're a student, right? You're a student of uh, nature. You're trying to understand it better, right? You're, as a gardener, you're, you're basically playing with nature, right? You're sticking seeds in the ground where you want things to grow and trying to get them to grow in a way that you want. Uh, so you're perpetually learning. Uh, if you're lucky, you keep learning until the day or your last day sort of thing. Uh, but your ego can get in the way of that. So toss that thing in the trash bin. <laughs> Right? It's just going to get in the way. Uh, and finally, um, is um, procrastination. Procrastination is uh, uh, one of the worst mistakes gardeners make. It's, you know, it's if you've got a problem in your garden and you're watching a plant go to pieces, um, just continuing to watch it. I mean, there can be some value in, in observations, so there can be some value in watching that whole bed go to pieces. Um, but really, you know, especially with experience, you, you kind of know when the game's up. Uh, so do something, right? If, if something's going wrong with under your plants, maybe, you know, do something to half of those plants just to see what it does, right? Maybe you just need to thin things out, so just do it. Don't wait, right? Your, your garden season is a time, a time you know, a, what is it, like a stopwatch, right? The garden season begins, and then it's over, and then it's winter. You, you can't just keep putting things off, right? I mean, don't get stressed out about it, but if something's going wrong, you know, do some reading and try to come up with a good explanation for what's, why that thing's going wrong, and if there's enough season left, do something about it. Which brings me to my final point. Uh, what should you do? How should you go about solving your problems as a gardener? Uh, I think the best way is to consult an actual expert. And of course, none of us have experts uh, at our beck and call, but we have the internet. And you have the ability to go to these various agricultural extensions from universities where you're listening to actual, you know, uh, people with a background in a particular kind of uh, plant or whatever. There's, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles written on all kinds of different topics by these people out of these university extensions. It's pretty much the best, best advice you can get on a given problem in a garden because it's written by a person who's devoted their life to it. You, you could have a potato problem, you could find an article um, written by a person who only studies potatoes. And in that article they talk about everything that can go wrong and what to do about it. Right. That's the, that's, the, <laughs> that's the person you want to talk to, a potato specialist, right? Or if you think you have a problem with your soil, you know, read something written by a soil scientist, a person who spent their life studying soil. 
Now, I know there's people are going to have comments saying, yeah, but what about the wisdom of the elders and what about my parents and my grandfather and all? Sure, take that all under advisement. That's all useful stuff. Um, but most of the time, that, that person is just one more guru or just one more person off of a Facebook page or whatever. Um, a highly experienced person, like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty successful with gardening and I'm, you know, pretty good at getting results out of my garden. That being said, most of the time when someone asks me a question, um, most, I'll tell you, most of the time when someone asks me a technical question about a problem they have in their garden, my first thought, I don't usually write this, but my first thought is, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know what that, it could, be, it could be any one of a dozen reasons why you're having that problem, right? I give them my best guess. Um, but, you know, if it's specific to squash or if it's specific to tomatoes, just specific to lettuce, um, you know, someone who works in a lab and studies lettuce and has been doing it for years and sort of knows just they go to lettuce conferences and they, you know, <laughs> that person's going to know more than me. This is why on my podcast I tend to bring people like that onto the show, right? Instead of me pretending to be an expert on all these topics, um, I mean, I can do it. I, I know how to, you know, if I'm sort of trained to give talks and lectures and things like that, I can, I can look like I know a lot about just about anything, but I bet I don't, right? Uh, I can give a really good presentation and talk on soil science um, by just reading uh, a bunch of good materials on it, packaging it up, being engaging and, and entertaining. Um, but I don't know as much as the guest I have on my show, Keith Reed. He, know, <laughs> he wrote a book about it. He knows infinitely more than me. And that's why I like having people like that on my podcast because they're the, you know, someone who specializes in a particular area of inquiry. Um, they're the ones that just have that broad knowledge base. They've devoted their life or a good portion of their career to solving those kinds of problems, understanding the problems, understanding the solutions. That's why I like to have people like that on my podcast. I like to, because they're the experts, right? I'm just the host. <laughs> I'm just the enthusiastic guy, but they're the experts. They're the ones I think you should listen to. Consult the experts, not the gurus, not people on Facebook, not some guy down the street. All those people could solve your problem, but I'm talking about getting reliable answers, right? The, the expert, uh, whatever, they, you know, the person who's employed in understanding that thing in a scientific setting, and even then they might not have the answer you need. Even then, um, if you read what they're writing, um, there could be one of three explanations for your problem. Well, then it's just a process of elimination after that. You narrow it down, you do a whole bunch of reading, you, re you consult the experts, and uh, you've got maybe three reasons you're having your problem. So next season, you try one approach. <laughs> and if that doesn't work, try the other one the next season. It might take you three years to solve that problem. But persistence, right? Gardening is all about persistence. Don't give up. Make notes. If you've got a problem, at the end of this, what I do is if I got a problem, something didn't work out like those, um, I got some pumpkins here in my garden and they're not doing well. I think it's just the location, but anyway. Um, write down the problem, write down what you think the solution is and try that solution next year, right? If it doesn't work, write down what you think you should do the year after that and try that. Just keep trying, right? Just be stubborn, but not stubborn where you're doing the same thing every year and getting lousy results. Stubborn in the sense that you're not going to give up trying new things. You're not going to give up trying to solve the problem. If you stay with it like that, you're going to you know, be the person people think, wow, how did you do that? You must have a green thumb. 
It's like, no, I'm just incredibly stubborn and staying with the problem, trying to find a solution. So uh, I think that's all I got to say about that. I uh, hope you found this uh, conversation useful. I hope you sort of take it to heart and think about it a little bit and uh, give me your comments. Uh, try to be nice. Try to be nice to others. <laughs> try to be nice to me. Um, if you enjoyed this video and you want to help uh, support the podcast, um, and uh, everything I'm doing here, um, check out my sponsor, Vessi Seeds. If they sell something you need, uh, buy it from them. That'll help make this all happen. Use the coupon code GAVS20. Details are in the description box. They're also, uh, if you're uh, on my podcast website, they're in the show notes. Um, check that out, and uh, yeah, that'll help make all this happen because they, they basically pay for my camera equipment, uh, website hosting service, all that sort of stuff. So. I hope you found this interesting. If you did, please like, share, subscribe. Check out uh, all my videos on YouTube and podcasts and all that good stuff. And until next time, get out there, get at it. Have fun in your garden. Thanks for watching.